I wanted to start off today uh, just showing you something very quickly. When we were together last time, I mentioned to you S4, which will uh, be SAP's next major release here over the next few couple of years. And as a part of that, I mentioned to you a new um, interface technology that SAP is rolling out called Fiori. Now, Fiori is actually, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that word. Uh, my understanding is it's an Italian word that means flowers. And the intent here is, from SAP's perspective, is for them to make their user interface more beautiful. Now, while it may not truly be beautiful, I, I certainly think it definitely is more beautiful than what we see with the SAP GUI. This is an example of a Fiori interface. Now, the whole idea behind Fiori is that a user logs in to a workspace, typically by way of a web browser, and they have a collection of tiles that make up their interface that is specifically based on their role in the organization. So whereas now when you log into the SAP GUI, there are all those different uh, transactional folders that you can drill down into, and there's a lot of things that would not make sense. The security model, or would not make sense for you in that you don't use those things, the security and permissions model is totally different in Fiori. Basically, the entire functionality is segregated into these apps, if you will. That's the metaphor that they're going for. And you, let's say you work in the marketing department, by virtue of the fact that you work in the marketing department, you have certain apps available to you by way of tiles. And then you can visit the app store for your company to add additional tiles, which will be available to you or not, based on your role in the organization. And the, the driver behind this is, this is what it would look like in a web browser. If we were looking at this on a touch-based tablet computer, the interface would look exactly the same. If we were looking at this on a mobile phone, the interface would look exactly the same, with the only difference being, you know, how many, how many uh, tiles across and how many tiles deep you would see at any given time. And so on your, on your smartphone, there might only be six tiles available at any given time, and you scroll through the list and, and pick out the ones that you want. The other thing is that all of these tiles are HTML5, um, and so what you have here is an interface written in HTML5. The back end is written in ABOP, and so the, one of the big issues that companies are trying to figure out now is how they want to organize their developers. Some companies have said we're going to have a team that does the HTML5 user interface development and then another team that does the ABOP backend coding to connect it to the server, do the database work, and so on. Whereas some companies are saying, no, we want a developer singular that's capable of doing both of those things. Well, the idea here is when you log in, you might have a dashboard available to you 
that would show key metrics for your organization based on uh, your role in the organization. And so here we're looking at a marketing executive who sees key statistics related to performance of his organization. And if any of these things he or she wants more information on, they can just click on it and drill down into various reports. Uh, it's very, very flexible. You can use the menu controls here to change dimensions, key figures, and so on. But everything works out of this uh, tile-based interface. If we, for example, uh, let's pick something here. Let's look at... Uh, data management, I think, will have some interesting things for uh, in there. Uh, here is, you notice, look very, very different from the interface that we see with the, with the SAP GUI. Uh, marketing manager, in this case, looking at contact engagement. And so here we have a word cloud. I'm not particularly fond of the, fond of the colors that they have used here, but this is showing uh, essentially interaction with these customers in um, their contacting of our organization. And a manager could say, well, I only want to look at this for our customers that are in Brazil, and I only want to look at it based on our customers that are in the agriculture industry. And so the idea is all of this is very, very dynamic, very, very graphical, certainly a very different way of presenting things than what we're used to in the SAP GUI. And once again, to emphasize, with all of this being written in HTML5, any device that's capable of displaying HTML5 documents, which would be all mobile devices that are on the market these days, all web browsers and a variety of other tools, would be capable of managing this kind of, of presentation. So this is Fiori. When S4 debuts, the idea is, and I'm not clear whether this will happen day one or, or exactly how this will be managed, but the idea is that the S4 interface will be Fiori-based. So it may well be that the SAP GUI totally goes away or just becomes a tool that are used by developers and other uh, high-power users. Any questions or, or comments about about this. And the idea here is all of this is just a default configuration, but the user can move tiles around, the users can kill things off that they no longer uh, want to be a part of their interface. I don't think I can kill things off because this is a demo system, but putting more uh, power in the hands of the user and more uh, personalization ability is what they're after here. Yes, sir. These are some of the things like I'm guessing this, um, this post ticker is, let's see if this is configurable. Because I'm not sure, this is a demo system. So it is, um, yeah, I don't even know why this took us to, oh, okay, I, this, this is, um, the interface that we are looking at now is key to marketing management. 
and one of the key pieces of functionality is sentiment engagement and contact engagement which has to do with um, harvesting of information from social media so I think that the ostensibly what this is is we are seeing things added to this particular feed here based on either um, tweets or or other social media posts by people and I don't know though what's driving this if this has been you know what they have said to harvest based on and so I think that what we are seeing here is these are just if you will uh, I, I'm guessing um, social media posts that are just kind of showing up randomly here on our dashboard uh, for the sake of showing that capability Yes, uh, that is this particular fun this particular tool we're looking at is called Hybris, which is an um, Fiori extension based primarily on things like sentiment management and all. And so um, that's a core element of its functionality. Relevant for some companies, not relevant for other. I'm pretty sure though that these are are faked for the sake of the demo. Other comments or questions? All right, so I just wanted to show you that so that you would see the direction that SAP is, is heading with all of this. And it does give us a good place to pick up where we left off last time we were together, where we, we spent our time uh, cleaning up some things from chapter number one, and then talking about the architecture evolution from R1, R2, R3, SAP ERP, SAP HANA, and now into uh, forthcoming S4. So picking up the next uh, major element here of our discussion, SAP ERP is extremely complicated product. And so what has happened over, over time is the product was developed and delivered in various modules which companies can elect to install and configure or not install and configure. Some of the modules are fairly universal and well used. Other modules are perhaps not used at all based on a particular company. For example, it, it would not be unusual for a company, even though they are running SAP ERP, not to use SAP's human resources module in their SAP ERP product in favor of another package that, that they have found to be in favor. You'll notice with each of these different modules, there's a, a two-letter abbreviation. And that is particularly relevant because those will show up a lot in job listings. For example, it would be very, very common to see a job listing looking for someone who uh, was familiar with SAP FICO. And if we look at what the modules are here, uh, FI is financial accounting, CO is management accounting or controlling. So this would be a job looking for someone who in particular was focused on accounting functionality. I know, for example, a few developers that focus on SAP development strictly in the SD space, sales and distribution. 
And the idea is each of these different modules is complex enough and in an organization important enough that you may employ people that just focus on that aspect of the functionality. Uh, we have a few students that have graduated in the last couple of years, and by the way, this is not an exhaustive list because I see one that's missing here, which is uh, warehouse management would be one that we could add to the list, and uh, you'll do some lab exercises related to warehouse management later in the semester. Uh, that's WM. And I added that to the list simply to mention we have a couple of students who've graduated in the last couple years that went to work in an organization where they're working almost exclusively in, in warehouse management. And so these are things that you will frequently see people specialize in. Just real quickly to uh, kind of give you a rundown uh, of what the different modules do. Some of them are, are pretty straightforward. Production planning, and I'll, I'll draw examples back to your experience with, with uh, ERP SIM. Uh, a lot of the things that we look at in production planning are things related to the MRP process, configuring elements of our materials to uh, determine how we will actually be producing those items, uh, managing the production process itself. Uh, if we have a very complex manufacturing facility, uh, a lot of things in production planning that we are, are concerned with and can manage through our SAP ERP system. As you will see as the semester goes along, a lot of ERP functionality is focused on materials. And so materials management, MM, is a key facet of the functionality. Defining materials, defining characteristics of material, specifying targeted inventory levels, specifying attributes of our materials to make sure they are handled properly, uh, that all falls within the MM module. Sales and distribution is fairly straightforward. This is the facet of the system that takes care of processing sales orders that come in from customers and then the fulfillment of this through the distribution process. Plant maintenance is a facet of the system that uh, perhaps would be easy to overlook but yet is very, very key if we have an extensive physical plant with a lot of equipment, uh, that equipment has to be maintained and things like uh, preventative maintenance becomes very, very key in keeping our plant at full operation. And so plant maintenance allows us to do that. We can have a team of maintenance people and when they come to work every day, it will tell them these are things that are broken and need to be fixed and then these are things that aren't broken but need preventative maintenance. They need to be oiled, belts need to be changed or whatever have you and that's handled through the plant maintenance system. The nice part of handling it this way is the system will automate as much of this as it possibly can. If it knows that a particular piece of equipment needs to have its belts changed next week and it knows that in order for that to happen we have to order the belts and it knows that the belts take three days to come in from the supplier, it will just automatically order those things to make sure the resources are available in order for us to do the preventative maintenance that is, is needed. Project systems has to do with project management. If any of you have 
have ever used tools like Microsoft Project to manage a project where you create PERT charts and timelines and workflow breakdown schedules and such. That same functionality is built into SAP ERP, including tools that promote a visual planning of projects, much like you see in tools like Microsoft Projects. Quality management has to do with the inspection of materials. Really, at, at two different points do we typically focus on that, either when we are producing items and we want to inspect them before we actually turn around and sell them to customers or otherwise use them, and then also we have quality management in terms of when we order things from suppliers and checking those things out to make sure they are of appropriate quality. There was a great example of this in the news. Um, I think it's been within the last year, but perhaps I'm mistaken and it's been within the last two years. There was an item in the newspaper about an incident that happened at, at Eastman Chemical where they buy a lot of coal and their coal supplier uh, ships them coal in rail cars. You know, you've seen trains with those huge cars with coal piled up in it, and that's how they buy their coal. They buy it by rail car. Well, just like a lot of products that you can purchase, there are different qualities of coal. And I think it has to do with things like the size of the chunks and the purity of the coal and so on. Well, Eastman began to realize that their manufacturing statistics were, were showing that they weren't getting the yield that they expected in a lot of their processes. And so they started looking back at all the, the different elements of that. And I don't know how long it took them, but eventually they started focusing on the coal itself and thought that there might be an issue with it. So they started paying a little bit more attention to that in the inspection process. And when the coal gets delivered, apparently there are people that look at the coal and say, yes, this is of good quality. But as you can imagine, due to logistics, they really just looked at that at the coal that was on the top. Well, they came to realize that what was actually happening was the coal that was on top was of the appropriate quality, but once you got a little bit further down in the rail car, the stuff at the bottom was not of appropriate quality. And so they looked at it over a period of time and came to the conclusion, you know, there's no way this is an accident. Our, our vendor is doing this to us. And because it was an interstate transaction, uh, that now becomes something that, that activates certain legal elements. And so my understanding from reading the newspaper was uh, Eastman turned this over, I think it was to the FBI, and the FBI conducted their own investigation and they discovered that the supplier was defrauding them. And several of the managers at the supplying company are now in federal jail for fraud because of the coal that they were selling as being a given quality, quality when in fact it wasn't. Well, that's the idea here of companies needing to inspect the resources, either the things that they have made to make sure the quality is what they want it to be, or things coming from supplier. And so there's functionality in the system to help us manage that. Financial accounting and management accounting is something that we will experience a lot in our work this semester. Um, the 
painting this with a very broad brush, financial accounting are those things that we do for external reporting purposes, preparation of our income statements and balance sheets for uh, publication and various documents that our company is required to make available, tax reporting that is required based on governmental requirements. So things that we do because of external legal requirements uh, generally falls into the domain of financial accounting. Management accounting and controlling often focuses on things like cost management, uh, understanding the true cost of our operations, figuring out ways to improve our internal processes by figuring out the true expenses associated with activities that we engage in. And so that's the focus, uh, or at least one facet of the focus of management accounting and controlling. Human resources, pretty straightforward. This is things related to hiring, firing, uh, retaining people over time, benefits management, and so on. And then business intelligence is a module that is built into SAP ERP, but the business intelligence capabilities that are in the core product itself are really not that sophisticated by contemporary standards. And so that's why companies will typically pair this with other products for the sake of, of business, uh, true business intelligence uh, reporting purposes. So those are the core SAP ERP modules that, that we will spend a fair amount of time talking about most of them this semester. All right, so we've talked about the architecture evolution. We've talked about the core modules. And so now on to uh, SA Business Suite, NetWeaver, and HANA. And we talked about HANA last time. So part of this we have already covered. Now this slide is, is one that's very important for us to understand. So I want to make sure that I, I take time to explain it to us um, clearly. And please make sure that you ask questions. We will spend our semester, for the most part, talking about SAP ERP. ERP in general, if we were going to uh, give it a, a definition, one of the things that ERP systems are focused on is end-to-end -end business processes, but specifically end-to-end -end business processes as they happen within our company. So we could call this perhaps intra-company as opposed to inter-company, which would mean between different companies, intra-company business processes. And so this was the product that kicked things off. SAP invented ERP. Other companies have certainly followed their lead as time has gone by. Let me switch to a different color pen here so it can maybe be seen a little bit better. But ERP focused on intra-company business processes. Well, if we use as a parallel example, I trust you're at least somewhat familiar with Microsoft Office. And Microsoft Office, when you buy it anymore, you get Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel and PowerPoint and Outlook and perhaps Access. There's a whole set of things that you get when you purchase Microsoft Office. Well, when one elects to purchase products from SAP, you can purchase SAP ERP 
or you can purchase SAP Business Suite. And when you purchase SAP Business Suite, you get the products that are shown in this diagram here. You get five products instead of, of just one. And so let's talk about the different products that compose the business suite and, and what they do for us. The important thing to realize is all of these are logical outgrowths of the core product of ERP. Whereas ERP focused on this idea of managing business processes and allowing full visibility of what we do across our entire organization, these things get extended to afford additional functionality in key areas. So we might set up what's here on the left, SRM, is supplier relationship management. Supplier relationship management allows us to enhance our ability to execute business processes in conjunction with our suppliers. So supplier relationship management focuses on, on purchasing. So the idea might be if our company is one that engages in some very sophisticated purchasing applications, or we just find that we need more support for things that are not a part of the core ERP package, we can implement SAP supplier relationship management. It hooks up to our ERP system and essentially becomes a system that presents itself to the user through the SAP GUI. It becomes hard to tell where one product ends and the next product begins but it gives us additional functionality in relation to our work with suppliers. If we go to the right of the diagram, CRM is customer relationship management. And this is going to give us additional features and functionality as it relates to our sales functions. So it's going to give our salespeople additional transactions to use to uh, manage and monitor their sales productivity, their relationship with their suppliers. It will enable us to do certain things, for example, like set up a portal that our customers can go to in a business-to-business -business or even an e-commerce relationship and purchase products. That functionality is built into CRM. So the idea is if there's something that we want that's not a part of the ERP product, we may find that functionality embedded in these other products. So we have supplier relationship management, we have customer relationship management. At the top, we have product lifecycle management. Product lifecycle management, and we talked about this briefly um, in the last couple of classes. This is a facet of the product that will enable us to do things like really um, exert additional control over our product development process. So for example, if we build a lot of products by way of extended projects, and I used the example previously of Boeing, where manufacturing a single aircraft might take months for us to do, then product lifecycle management is going to give us additional functionality in the domain of managing our product development, keeping up with product versionings, keeping up with blueprints, 
product designs and other things of that sort. And it includes functionality in the domain of asset management, where asset management is just keeping track of all of the different uh, equipment and resources that we have purchased as a company that's embedded in product lifecycle management. Now this next one here at the bottom, this is SCM is supply chain management supply chain management. And although SCM and SRM seem somewhat similar, SRM, supplier relationship management, focuses on our relationship with our supplier. Supply chain management, SCM, focuses on things like inventory and warehouse management, uh, manufacturing functionality, and, and transportation. And this gets very, very complicated very, very quickly. Um, I visited a company one time in Alabama that had the largest warehouse that I've ever been into. I, I know for sure there are many that are bigger. But the warehouse that I went into, the, the non it was a, a food distribution warehouse. The non-refrigerated portion of the warehouse was the size of, I think it was 10 football fields. And it had basically, if you could imagine, a warehouse uh, that was just a long rectangular building. And on the two opposite sides, there were 100 truck bays on each side. And this particular organization, every day, they service the Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, and Virginia markets. And every day they would roll out 300 semi-trucks full of materials going to, to customers. Um, and the ideal for them was not to have more than a week's worth of inventory actually in their warehouse. So they did a lot of things where they took the truck off. You know, all the trucks from things coming in from suppliers were on one side of the building, and the stuff going out was on the other side of the building. And in the middle, they practiced what's called cross-docking, which was literally they drive the forklift into a supplier truck, they pick the pallet off, they drive it off, and put it in a truck going out to a customer. And they never unbundle it or do anything else with it. They to the extent they could do that as efficiently as possible, that was key to their productivity. Well, imagine this for a moment. You have hundreds of trucks at your disposal. And so every day, you have orders coming in from customers. And your job is to fulfill all of those order requirements with your fleet of trucks. Now, you think about certain things that you have to keep in mind. You want the routes that those trucks drive to be reasonable and that they could be driven in a normal shift for a person. You want to minimize the driving back and forth across town when you could route things in a logical way and save on fuel. And then, of course, you have to contend with the fact that a truck only holds so much stuff. So you also have to contend with the fact that, you know, okay, it would be great if these four things could be delivered by this truck, but that won't all fit on one truck. So we're going to have to put part of this on a second truck, which now means redoing it. To try and do something by that, like that by hand, virtually impossible. I mean, it is the real world uh, instantiation of the traveling salesman problem that's often talked about in computing. Think about it this way as well, with fuel costs being the way that they are. If you could do a 5% better job at that, 
that could mean the difference in millions of dollars in profitability for your company. And so supply chain management systems really focus a lot on the logistics associated with inventory and warehouse management, transportation, manufacturing, and so on. And as illustrated by all of these different arrows here, all of these products that compose the business suite are designed to interoperate with one another. It's just like if you create a spreadsheet in Excel and you want to embed that in a Microsoft Word document, Microsoft has engineered the product to make that as simple as possible. Same thing is true here. Once a company, let's say, brings an SRM system into their landscape and configures it and hooks it up, so that it has visibility of the ERP system and vice versa. The exchange of information happens without us having to uh, worry about it on an ongoing basis and they begin to function just like one product. And so you will see companies either that are running just SAP ERP or SAP ERP and CRM or ERP SRM and CRM. Really any of these combinations are ones that you would see, although almost universally you would expect the company to be running ERP as the core of the system and then the other things as, as extensions. Now, going back to the first thing that I wrote on this slide, ERP is about supporting intra-company business processes. What SAP loves to see happen and what they can afford, uh, can, excuse me, can support most effectively is this idea of inter-business business processes. So let's say, for example, that this is us here in the middle and our circle of SAP Business Suite and over here is our suppliers just illustrated by one hypothetical supplier and over here is our customers and so if we are running SAP SRM supplier relationship management and our supplier is running SAP ERP customer relationship management these two products are designed to be very easy to interface. And so now what we pick up is this ability to accomplish inter-business business processes. So if we did not have this situation, we might discover a need to order something from a supplier and we create a purchase order and we mail that to the supplier, that would be very old school. We fax it to the supplier, which would be a little bit more contemporary, or we send it to them in some other way that requires us to create a purchase order and go through those steps. But if we have this kind of relationship with our, with our suppliers, we can go from the noticing of a need on our end to the order being placed with our supplier automatically. And at that point, we go from purchase order being created to it showing up in our supplier's computer system instantaneously, just like it happened inside of our company. 
Now, the payoff here is for large companies that do a lot of ordering. If we can automate this in this fashion, it's going to save us an awful lot of work. It's going to save our suppliers an awful lot of work, which should enable them to pass along the cost savings to us. And it's going to ensure we get our materials quicker. For certain organizations that focus on just-in-time manufacturing and really have dialed this in with their suppliers, it would not be unusual. And, and Japan is really the company, the country that has this uh, refined at the highest level. Some suppliers deliver multiple times a day to their customers. They don't even think in terms of, okay, the customer needs this tomorrow, so I have to deliver it to them today. They think in terms of our customer needs this tomorrow at 2 o'clock, so we need to deliver it to them at 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. And they are that synchronized in their relationship with their suppliers that their supplier essentially becomes just like another part of their company. And that's why what you often see happen in business is a company chooses to locate in a particular location on the map. And if they're a big enough company, then their major suppliers will build facilities all around them in close physical proximity so that they can very easily fulfill their relationship. So the nice thing about this is it gives us the ability to hook these systems together so that we can communicate between companies as efficiently as we can communicate inside of our organization. Now, as you can imagine, that doesn't mean that our supplier can look at all of our information just as if they worked for our company. There are certain things, obviously, that we would want to um, not make available to them. But anymore, a lot of organizations are really going for a very open relationship with their suppliers. Walmart is a company that does this, where they provide their suppliers with as much information as they possibly can under the premise that what's good for their suppliers ultimately is, is good for them. The other part of this diagram, as you can see here, works the opposite direction. If our customers are running SAP Business Suite, then we can establish an automated relationship with them by enabling them to hook their system up to our CRM or ERP system to enable us to support them in automated fashion. So you notice if we can actually achieve this kind of configuration, we could have an order come in to our, from our customers and virtually instantaneously we figure out what our need is and then place an order with our suppliers to account for that. So the benefit of this kind of integration is our improved efficiency in being able to execute these business processes. And so what you really have is ERP was all about breaking down walls of separation inside of our company. And it largely has done that for most organizations. Now, business suite is about breaking down walls of separation between companies so that those companies can now forge these alliances and can engage in improved business processes between them. Questions about any of this? All right, well, NetWeaver. 
when SAP started developing products, they realized that if they were going to create a system that would be made up of multiple different software products over time, a key piece of functionality was all of those systems had to be able to communicate effectively with one another. And in addition to that, if we wanted to be able to hook other systems that our company might own into this overall architecture of IT in our organization, we needed something to serve as a common foundation. And that common foundation that they architected is something called NetWeaver. Every SAP product is built on SAP NetWeaver. Now, it is not a, a perfect metaphor, but the closest thing that I can give you as an example of what NetWeaver would be like would be an operating system. So uh, it's kind of the equivalent of Windows 10 or Windows 7 or Windows 8 or 8.1 that you might have on your laptop. It's what enables the different applications to run. It enables them to communicate with one another. And it establishes that, that core foundation of functionality. The reason why it is not a perfect analogy is NetWeaver is not an operating system. There's actually an operating system, and then there's NetWeaver, and then there's the products that are built on top of NetWeaver. So it's not uh, a, a true uh, operating system. Now, NetWeaver provides integration in four dimensions that is illustrated by this diagram that is commonly called the NetWeaver fridge. You will see questions probably on our first quiz, most definitely on our midterm exam. And if you ever take any kind of SAP certification exam, they love this question, which is, what are the four things that NetWeaver provides? And the answer to that is, if you can remember this, I don't know if this would be, it's not really an acronym, I guess it's a mnemonic device, PIPA. SAP NetWeaver provides people integration, information integration, process integration, and an underlying application platform. So that's PIPA. People integration, information integration, process integration, and at the underlying application platform. So let's, let's take this apart and, and talk about it for just a second. In people integration, NetWeaver provides a portal. It's called SAP NetWeaver Portal. It's a web interface you can log into, and it provides all of the functionality that you would normally see of a portal site. People can post documents, they can post news items, they can exchange instant messages with one another, they can video chat, they can do a lot of things using SAP NetWeaver Portal because it is primarily focused on enabling people to collaborate with one another. So that's what they're saying when they mean people integration. It's kind of a fancy way of saying providing a mechanism for people to be able to communicate with one another. And so all of the things that you would expect to see in a contemporary portal site, video chat, online meetings, all of that is provided in NetWeaver Enterprise Portal. You do not hear 
SAP talking much about their portal product anymore. And that is largely a product of the times that we are in. Portals are, for the most part, considered passe and obsolete. And now people are moving more towards things like mobility and devices of that sort. And NetWeaver does support multi-channel access. So it supports mobility. It supports people using a variety of different products to be able to interact with one another and to be able to interact with the system. So one of the four major drawers in the NetWeaver fridge is the first P in PIPA, people integration. And that's a core functionality element of this product. The I in PIPA is information integration, which is all about what we have talked about numerous times already this semester, this idea of bringing information together and distributing it wherever it's needed in our organization as quickly as we possibly can. But three particular facets of that that NetWeaver focuses on is business intelligence, the sake of bringing information together for the sake of us analyzing it to draw business insight to make better decisions. And so NetWeaver provides tools for business intelligence and analytics work. Knowledge management. This is tools like uh, knowledge bases and repositories that we might create in our organization to store documents on an ongoing basis. It includes search engines. SAP has a search engine that um, would be their equivalent of Google, but that works inside of SAP, and it's called T-Rex or Trex, T-R-E-X. That's their, their search engine. And so this affords us a place that, you know, various company information can be uploaded, and then people can use a search engine to search for things that, that they might need. So it's another way of bringing information to people. And then master data management, something that is a really important piece of the functionality here that, that we will talk about more as the semester goes on. But let me just, by way of explaining master data management, let me back up a slide here. If we have a complex system landscape where we have multiple systems, and in fact, in a real world landscape, there might be other systems that we have also hooked up here together. It is very important that as these systems communicate with one another, that they're all on the same page. Meaning, if a system refers to product MD-147, every system out there knows what product that is. They have a uniform understanding of that. And if we refer to customer 101142, Every system knows what customer that is. That is master data management. And so one of the key elements of NetWeaver is making sure that all of these systems are on the same page and operating out of that same foundational information. That sounds really, really trivially easy in theory, in real-world application, that is incredibly complex to achieve. That's a key functionality that NetWeaver will provide for us. 
process integration goes back to the picture that I drew a moment ago and also relates to these guys that are hanging off here to the side. NetWeaver affords the ability for us to write .NET applications that would interact with our system or hook applications up that were developed in .NET so that they can be a part of our company landscape. WebSphere is IBM's enterprise development system. And so we can hook up various IBM applications into our landscape. And then this dot, dot, dot basically means anything else that you might have that you want to hook up and make a part of your company landscape, you can through the process integration feature of NetWeaver. Basically, if any of these applications will, for example, speak XML, and they have an address that we can feed to NetWeaver, then it's very, very simple for us to get these things talking to each other. If it doesn't speak XML or there are other things that we have to contend with, we might have a little bit more work, but we can get applications talking to each other. And the glue that we use to hook them together is, is NetWeaver. It provides an integration broker, which is simply the ability to connect these systems together. A broker kind of sits between the two systems as middleware and interprets back and forth to make sure the information exchange goes quickly and, and appropriately. And then business process management is just the idea that if we have a business process that is triggered by something that happens in WebSphere, and then we do something in our ERP program, and then that causes something to change in a .NET system, no problem. We can make all that happen. So a business process can now span across any system we have in our corporate landscape. So the first three parts of PIPA all focus on integration. People integration, information integration, and process integration. The fourth one is a little bit different in that it doesn't have the word integration in it. The underlying application platform is what NetWeaver provides for us as well. You can develop NetWeaver applications in two programming languages natively. J2EE, which is Java, and ABAP. And so this is the idea that if a company wants to develop something to use, like we were talking about before, to introduce new functionality, NetWeaver makes it very easy for them to do that. In addition to that, and this is something that will be more relevant to those of you that are developers, it affords us database and operating system abstraction, which means that we don't have to worry about what the underlying database is. We don't have to worry about what the underlying operating system is. NetWeaver takes care of all that for us. So if we want to get information out of the database, we tell NetWeaver what we want, and then NetWeaver goes and gets it for us. So NetWeaver is like that layer that exists that interprets back and forth between multiple systems and helps with and manages the, the information exchange. And so, if you remember NetWeaver, immediately when you hear NetWeaver, think PIPA, 
and think people integration, information integration, process integration, and application integration. I promise you, first of all, that I'm going to ask you questions about that, and I definitely promise you if you ever take an SAP exam in the future related to business processes or anything in the domain of what we talk about in this class, you are going to see uh, this come up. Questions about any of this? Yes, sir. What is the relationship between NetWeaver and ERP? Basically, the relationship is, here's NetWeaver, here's my operating system. So let's say this could be Windows, or this could be Linux, or a variety of other operating systems, and then I build applications here. So this is my SAP ERP, and this might be uh, an IBM system that I'm running, and this might be a Microsoft system that I'm running, and this might be an Oracle system. And so if the Oracle system wants to communicate with the IBM system, NetWeaver provides a pathway for that communication. It basically is a tool that allows, and what I've just illustrated here, information integration between various pieces of our infrastructure as a part of this application platform. So NetWeaver is a part of SAP or just? NetWeaver is an SAP product that if you buy any SAP product, you are going to have to install NetWeaver and then install the product on top, install the SAP product on top of that. And it gives you the ability to glue various applications together. Yes, within even SAP ERP, different modules will often communicate with one another using NetWeaver. So that's why you really can't have SAP ERP without having NetWeaver. Good questions. Other questions? All right. I'm going to skip over that point right there. It's not really important. We already talked about HANA last time. We'll come back and talk about HANA again at some point in the future. Okay, questions for you. These are like pseudo quiz questions for us to look at as a class here together and you can quiz yourself. Which of the following does SAP Business Suite enable for inter-business connectivity? Now the first thing is, if I were answering this question, is clearly inter-business is, is really the key word here in this particular question. So. Which of these represent inter-business connectivity afforded by SAP Business Suite? A, okay. How many people say A? How many people say B? How many people say C? How many people say D? Okay, A is right, so very good. Let's take this apart for a second. SRM is Supplier Relationship Management. CRM is customer relationship management and this goes back to uh, this slide right here where one of the things we said is 
we can support inter-business integration by hooking our CRM system, or excuse me, our SRM system up with our supplier CRM system for the sake of achieving that inter-business integration. And this is another good example of the kinds of questions you might see on quizzes or, or tests in the future, okay? So you're doing pretty good. Yes, sir? Run that by me again now? Well, first of all, this is product lifecycle management. Product lifecycle management, you're absolutely right. It may connect to CRM. And in fact, ERP might connect to CRM. And PLM might connect to SCM. But all of these would be example of intra-business connectivity, meaning it's happening within our company. And that goes back to that same diagram where if I am connecting um, PLM to CRM, that's this line right here, but that's still within my company. And so um, that's why none of those would fall into the category of a correct answer. It is something that's enabled by SAP Business Suite, but it doesn't fulfill what the question was asking about in terms of inter-business connectivity. Okay. Which of the following is not a key point of integration supported by NetWeaver? We have people, product, process, and information. And I like this question because you can't just remember PIPA because all of those starts with P's and I's. And so, you know, if I had up there like quality, you could immediately say, well, that's not the right answer. So which one does not fit? Product, absolutely, B. Uh, NetWeaver supports people integration. It supports process integration. It supports information integration. Uh, but it does not support uh, product integration product integration. I think I said that right, but if I didn't, just edit it in your brain. All right, next question. Business intelligence is supported by which integration facet of NetWeaver? Now, my hope is here that while you might, especially at first, have to memorize what PIPA stands for, my hope is that once you have done that, then figuring out what belongs to what just becomes a matter of of understanding. So business intelligence is supported by which facet of NetWeaver? Information. Because business intelligence is about bringing information together for the sake of improving decision making. And so what part of NetWeaver supports that? Information integration. And specifically what this allows us to do is go out to various systems, some of which may be SAP and some of which may not be, but gather that information, bring it together, and model it in a way that helps our company make better decisions. That's an important facet of NetWeaver. That is information integration. The next one we didn't talk about last time, I don't think, so this is a bit of an unfair question, but we'll go ahead and throw it out here anyhow since it's on my slides here. Which of the following is not a facet of HANA in-memory database? 
columnar tables, analytic hyperdrive, and multi-core CPUs. And we did talk about some of these last time. Anybody know what the correct answer is here? C, analytic hyperdrive, which I don't know what that is. It sounds like something off of Star Trek maybe, but that's just something I totally made up. HANA is in memory for all of its data storage. It does employ multi-core CPUs. We talked about both of those things when we were last together. We didn't talk about columnar tables, I don't think. Um, uh, we'll come back to that at some point, but analytic hyperdrive is the one that I totally made up. All right, so we have now talked about ERP architecture evolution. We've talked about the core modules that compose SAP ERP. We've talked about Business Suite. We've talked about NetWeaver. And we reviewed a little bit about HANA. And so now we start getting into a little bit more of the nitty gritty, talking about classes of data in our ERP system. And as we go throughout this, I'm really going to now uh, start making reference to things that you will see or have seen in your lab work and trying to use a lot of examples from that. There are three classes of data within enterprise information systems. We have organizational data. Organizational data represent entities that compose an organization structure and defines their relationship with one another. Now, let's just, I'm going to back up my slide even so we can focus. Let's focus on just this one for a second. Organizational data represents entities that compose an organization structure and their relationships with one another. You've already done phase one in your homework. What did you see in your phase one work that you think would be an example of an organizational entity that you then later went on to define its relationship with another organizational entity? What's that now? There is a hierarchy at play here, but I'm asking what are some of the things that you have put in your hierarchy at this point? Those would be organizational data, absolutely. Cost centers would be. You started out, one of the very, very first things that you did in your lab work was you created an organizational entity to use as a foundation. And, and let's look at that since uh, this is an important point and, and this will be a good example for us to understand this. And so uh, give me a moment here to pull up our, uh, our lab exercises. And rather than look at the details, I'm mainly going to focus on the table of contents over here. All right, so. What was one of the first things that you did that involved creating organizational data? You created a company code, exercise 1.1.1. And then what was the next thing you did? 1.1.2, you defined a business area. And then in 1.1.3, you created a chart of accounts. And then in 1.1.4, you started with controlling areas. And at some point here, 
1.1.9, you assigned a company code to a controlling area. And you assigned a controlling area to an operating concern. So what you're actually doing in your lab sequence when you do these things is you are building your company's organizational structure. And we do it most typically in the configuration process by creating the entity and then putting it in the appropriate place in our overall hierarchy. You know, so the idea might be we create a business area and then we create a company code. And I'm just going to draw this very free form. And then we create something else and then we hook them together in the manner that represents the overall structure of our organization. That's organizational data. Now this will be different for every company because no two companies that are out there are going to organize themselves exactly the same way. A great example of organizational data that is in the lab work that you have due for today is you create three different plants and you associate those plants with your company code. Now when you do that, if you stop and think about this for a moment, and we're just going to speak very, very broadly, if this is A, and this is B, and this is C, and then this down here is P. If I hook P to C, I have established that relationship, but also by inference I've established a relationship with A and B, because C is hooked up to them, and P is now hooked up to them as well. So organizational data, it's, I like to use a metaphor I think I've used before of Legos. We get all of these different pieces, but we have to take the pieces and figure out, okay, these are the ones I actually need, and here's how I'm going to hook them together for the sake of building the structure of my organization data. Now master data is data that's in the system that is relatively fixed and is shared across and among business processes. A few moments ago I used this term when we talked about master data management as being a key facet of NetWeaver functionality. I've given you some examples of master data. Materials, customers, vendors, those are all things that once I put in my system will likely be there for a long time. And I will use them over and over and over again. And they will form a foundational element in the information exchange throughout the system. I'll give you a, a silly example. I cannot take an order from a customer and put it into the system and then pick up the phone and say, warehouse, ship that out to the customer. And the warehouse says, um, what product and to who? Well, I don't know, just ship it out. That's kind of a stupid example. I mean, for them to do what they need to do, they need to know what material and they need to know what customer to send it to. So it's of critical importance that when I put the order into the system, that that gets captured. Likewise, the warehouse can't pick up the phone and say, okay, accounting, send an invoice. Well, who do we send the invoice to? I, I don't know. Well, what do we send them an invoice for? I don't know. That's not my job. You figure it out. Hang up the phone. Can't happen that way, okay? Master data is key because it's those things that are going to be exchanged 
throughout the business processes as they're executed. And there's, there's an element of stability there. The last class of data is transactional data. This is data that results from executing business process steps. And it's based on the actual facts related to the process. What I am calling, and this is not a term that's in your book, but what I am calling situational data. And, and I'll give you a moment to write that down, and then I want to explain this to you. All right, so let me give you an example. And some of this we will have to flesh out a little bit more as we continue our discussion. But for the sake of my example, let's assume that in my company I have two teams of salespeople. I have salespeople on the West Coast and I have salespeople on the East Coast. And I have two plants. I have a plant on the West Coast and I have a plant on the East Coast. All right? A customer calls me up and wants to place an order. Well, I might ask them, who's your sales rep? And they say, Bob Westcoaster is my salesperson. We say, oh, okay. So we know that the West Coast sales team is going to get credit for this sale. And additionally, when we call up the customer's account, because they give us their account number. And by the way, they give us their account number. What's that an example of? That's master data, okay? So the fact that their sales rep is, from the, is the part of the West Coast team, that's organizational data. Their account number is master data. I pull that up and I see that they're based in California. So I know we're going to send this from our West Coast plant, which is organizational data. And they tell me I want product 10432, which is master data. And they tell me I want product 11536, which is master data. But there's still something I'm missing here in all of the information exchange we've had so far. What am I missing? Here, let me replay the conversation for you. Hi, thank you for calling Acme Widgets. How can I help you? Hi, this is uh, Bob from Acme Anvils. I'd like to place an order. Okay, great, Bob. Uh, what's your account number? Clickety click, click, click. Oh, great, I've got your account here. And I see that your sales rep is uh, Bob West Coaster, and you're located there in San Diego. Um, how can I help you? Well, um, like place an order with you. And I said, great, great. Um, what's one of the things you want? Well, um, uh, I've got product numbers here. Can I give you the product number? That'd be great. Okay, 10432, 10432. Okay, that's uh, giant sponges. Got it? Okay, uh, next product, 11536. Oh, okay, that's um, football helmets. Okay, great. Um, what information did I not get? Quantity. Quantity. How many of those does he want? When does he want them? That's situational data, okay? Because that's gonna be different for every transaction. And so he wants seven of the big sponges and he wants 75 football helmets. Guess the sponges are to wipe the football helmets off. I don't know. So we capture organizational data, master data, and situational data. And all of that goes into 
this sales order that just went into the system. And that now becomes transactional data. The bundling of organizational data, master data, and situational data gives us transaction data. Now it's very important for us to realize every part of this is critical. For example, customer calls me up on the phone. I say, hi, this is Acme Anvils. How can I help you? I'd like to place an order with you. Okay, great. Um, what's your account number? I don't know that. What's the name of your company? I, I can't tell you that. Okay, where are you located? I'm sorry, I'm not authorized to tell you that. I'm going to have kind of a hard time fulfilling that order, aren't I? And if I say, okay, well, what item do you want to order? Sorry, I'm not, I'm not allowed to tell you that. We have to have master data to know what it is that, that we're supposed to be doing here. That's critical. Okay, situational data. You know, similarly, oh, you want football helmets, how many? I don't know, just, just send me some football helmets. You know, it's not going to work. When do you want them? Uh, whenever you get around to, it's fine by me. I, I don't really care, you know. <laughs> Ten years from now, next week, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't work that way. You know, I don't get to, like, fill in the blank. Okay, great. So you want a million football helmets by next Thursday. Uh, I'm going to win uh, order entry person of the day for taking this one, um, you know. And organizational data, you know, might not seem as critical in my example, but you better believe that the salesperson wants credit for this sale so that he or she gets their commission. And I've got to know where I'm going to fulfill this out of or, or we're not going to be, um, you know, fulfilling this order. So I've got to have all of these things together for this to be a valid sales order. All of these three things contribute to transactional data. Yes, sir? Uh, what is price? price would most likely be considered master data. And the reason for that is we create, uh, and, and the technical term we use for price in an ERP system is conditions and we create a condition schedule and it defines a, a set of rules. In your labs, we keep this really simple. We just say, this product sells for this much. But the transaction where you create it gives you a screen that gives you a very complex grid. And you could go in and say, the default price for this product is $35. If the customer orders more than 100, they get a 2% discount. And you can go through and create all of these rules. And rules could have to do with how many of that unit they buy, or how long they've been a customer of ours, or if the total order is over a certain amount. You have all kinds of flexibility to create these rules. And then, so this set of rules that determine pricing would fall into the category of master data. The only reason I can say, and I don't like that it said that, but I suspect the reason why they said it goes back to my example in that the actual price the customer's going to pay is dependent upon the situation, which is how many did they order? If they order on Tuesday, they might get a discount. I, I still think that best falls within master data.
Right. Yeah, that, that's why I think considering it to be, it is master data that is influenced by the situation, but all master data is at least in some context influenced by that. Yes, sir? Now that would make sense. The total of the whole bill, if you will, that, that definitely makes sense in, in the context here. So thank you for clarifying that. Other questions? Yes, sir. That would probably be, probably, our, our mode of shipping, which actually would fall at the category of something we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and I think you've seen this in your lab, whether you realize it or not, your distribution channels. You have, I think, internet and wholesale are the only two that you actually wind up configuring. But yes, that would be, those methods of fulfillment would be master data. So let me give you just a, a continuing this theme and then um, cover some examples of this and then we'll, we'll be done. So what I have to do is I have to think about the structure of my company. And then I have to think about what is here on the right column, the Lego blocks that SAP ERP has afforded me to use to describe my company. And just like with Lego, you might think, boy, it would be great if I had a Lego piece that was red and was this shape and had this many pins and this many sockets and so on, but your Lego set doesn't have that. So you have to make do with what the Lego set has given you. Every enterprise information system, SAP or otherwise, it doesn't matter, they will give you out of the box their, their Lego set, their organizational entities. And you then have to match them up with your organization. Now, as we will establish next time, the highest element of organizational structure, if we're building a tree, the root at the top of our tree is our client. And every time you log in, you specify a client number. That would represent, in the context of our organization, perhaps a conglomerate or, or an enterprise. And what do I mean when I say a conglomerate or an enterprise? A few, a couple years ago, a student found this picture and sent it to me, and I love it, and I've used it ever since. This would be an example of a conglomerate. At one point in time, I think all of these companies were, were affiliated with one another. But there's a lot here for us to look at, so let's just pick one part of this diagram and zoom in on it. The craft company actually owns and operates every one of the other companies and logos you see here. So we have Del Monte, we have Kool-Aid, we have Toblerone, we have Oreo, uh, we have Welch's, we have Clamato, I'm sure that's many of your favorite beverages, uh, Jell-O, Cheese Whiz, all of these are, are, are owned by Kraft. Now, as a point of fact, I'm pretty sure that every one of these logos you see here started out as a separate company. And then Kraft decided to buy them. Okay? So at one point, Toblerone was a standalone company, and then Kraft bought them and folded them into their overall corporate hierarchy. So to relate this to our ERP system, Kraft might be client 456. And Toblerone might be company code 101. 
and uh, A1 steak sauce might be company code 102. And Clamato might be company code 105. We're all related to the same master organization. This is the client. This is the client. The client is our organization at the highest level of abstraction. And then we have these different company codes that represent distinct facets of our organization. Now, I need to give you much more specific definitions of these things, which I will do when we get together next time, but I'm just trying to paint a broad picture for you. In the context of ERP SIM, you all might have, when you played the game, let's say logged into Client 105, which meant that you logged into German Muesli Incorporated. But then once you logged in, you might have been on Team AA, which is Berlin Muesli, and then someone else would have been on Team BB, which is Hamburg Muesli. And I don't know if those are the right letters for those companies or not. Now, if you think about it, when Berlin Muesli makes a sale, they want credit for that sale. They don't want to make a sale and have that add to Hamburg Muesli's revenue. So it's very, very important that as our company does things, the appropriate entity gets credit for it. Now, Berlin Muesli had a plant. Berlin plant. Hamburg Muesli had a plant. Hamburg plant. When you got ready, if you were on Team Hamburg Muesli, you would not have wanted to send a planned order to your plant and said, here, make us uh, 100,000 boxes of blueberry muesli. You would not have liked it if the plant said, no, we can't do that. We're busy making stuff for Berlin Muesli. Like, hold on, you're my plant. You do what I say. You make products for me. No, you know, they told us to make stuff, so we're just doing it. Okay? We're all part of the same client. We're all part of the same master organization, but yet only Berlin Muesli can tell the Berlin plant what to do, and only Hamburg Muesli can tell the Hamburg plant what to do. This part of ERP SIM was transparent to you, but you had sales teams that actually interacted with your virtual companies, and those salespeople made sales, and, and you wanted to get credit for it. Now, one of the things that wasn't a part of what we saw in ERP SIM is our company might have different divisions. We might have a dry cereal division and we might have a cooked cereal division. And so hypothetically, Berlin might only sell dry cereal, whereas Hamburg might sell dry cereal and cooked cereal. If that's the way we want it to work in our organization, that's fine. But the point of what we're doing now in configuration and a key element in organizational data is we have to go through and we create these different entities and then we hook them together in a way that will make sense. That's why it's really important that you not make a, a mistake and hook your plant up to one of your classmates' company codes. Because at that point, you've created an illegitimate, at least in the context of our intent, corporate structure, and you've delegated authority of your plant to another part of the organization. The last thing I want to interject is why is this so important? One reason why all of this is really important is because of legal requirements, tax requirements, what the government tells us as far as 
how this is going to work. You know, here for craft, you have some beverage companies, you have some food companies. I don't know if there's anything else there other than beverage or food, but uh, if we dug through all the diagrams, we might see there being some other things there too. How we classify things in our organizational structure is often based, of le based on legal requirements that are not our decision, they're requirements that come to us based on governmental requirements. For example, I'm pretty sure, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, isn't Cadbury in England? Okay, so Kraft is an American company that owns an English company. Well, that's going to create some interesting tax implications for us. And so that's why it's very, very important that we hook these things up in a way that's going to allow us to accurately report things in a way to meet up with legal requirements. All right, well, this is a good place for us to stop for today. I hope all of you have a good rest of the day, and I'll look forward to seeing you when we get together on Thursday.